Welcome to the Self-Fellowship Church Podcast. Here at Self-Fellowship, we exist to help people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Good morning, everyone. That's good to hear. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I can preach today. Uh, you know, from Ephesians chapter one, this is a terrific passage. And I'd just like to say, those songs that Aaron and Jen chose were, were terrific. They're right along with this passage that we're going to look at. So Jen and Aaron, thank you very much. And the whole band, thank you for the, the part that you played in, in leading us in worship. I really appreciate that. And for those of you who are online, um, this is the first Sunday of the month, even though it's Labor Day, a holiday, but we are going to be taking communion at the end of this um, at the end of this message, and if you want to run and get whatever, you know, some elements, if you don't have any grape juice, get some Coke. I don't know, but uh, just get ready, and, and uh, we'll all take together, whether you're online or whether you're here, but we're glad. Uh, I, I really thank you all for coming out this morning on Labor Day weekend. You know, Labor Day is just one of those holidays that does not excite me. Um, I don't know about you. It's nice to have a day off. I, I agree, but there's just something about Labor Day. It's the end of summer. Uh, you know, when I grew up, it was on the East Coast. And on the East Coast, we actually did start school the day after Labor Day. You know, it's different here. You've been going for a month already. But uh, it was like, man, when Labor Day came, yeah, you, you, we drove home from camp or wherever we had been on Labor Day. And it was just this empty feeling. Oh, no, school starting. Um, you know, so, so I thought, okay. We're going we're gonna to preach and teach on Labor Day, so let's find out something about Labor Day. So I got online. You know, It, it started in 1895. I think it was Governor, uh, uh, President Grover Cleveland uh, kind of set the day aside. It was, a, you can imagine, Labor Day, so it's about the laborers, the workers in our country. Um, and they were working hard for, uh, yeah, for the rights. I mean, I, I was amazed as I read, you know, they would work uh, 12-hour days. Now, I know for some of the nurses among us, 12 hours, that's nothing. But, you know, for the rest of us, 12 hours a day, six days a week is a lot of work. And then you have one day off, Sunday, if, if you had that off. And the thing that kind of tugged at my heart was that um, kids were in the same boat, especially children of working class parents who, who were very poor, and they had to work as well, six days a week, 12 hours a day. Um, let me kind of jump back in time a little bit. Eight, this picture is around 1885, 1886 or so. And a few years after this picture was taken in Denver, this is downtown Denver, there was a fellow by the name of uh, George Eddy. George Eddy was a young man in Boston. And he felt kind of, he felt called to, to work with these working class kids who, yeah, worked their fingers to the bone and really their parents couldn't afford any kind of education for them. So he got on a train and he came from Boston all the way out here to Denver and he started to educate these kids who work six days a week. And guess what it was called? It was called Sunday School. Sunday School. And on Sunday, he would have classes for these kids. And uh, he came and he started working in the southern part of Denver at that point and had about 46 unruly uh, kids, you know, because they didn't want to go to school. But uh, their parents really made them because the parents wanted them to have a chance. And uh, they had the three R's, reading, writing, and 
religion. It wasn't quite arithmetic, and writing's not exactly an R, but they, they kind of pushed into that. And what they would do, I was amazed, they would read the Bible. They would write the Bible. And then he would teach the Bible. So, you know, reading, writing, and religion. Um, eventually, some of the parents came to this George Eddy and said, is there anything for us? Yeah, we work six days a week too, and you know, we'd like something. So he went to the presbytery that was in Denver at that time, and he said, hey, do you mind if I investigate starting a church down here? And they said, sure. So he wrote a letter to his father, who was back in New Jersey, who had been a pastor all his life, and his father said, yeah, I'd be willing to come out there and plant a church. So he came out to Denver, and in about 1890, uh, they took the parents of the folks that were in Sunday school, of the kids in Sunday school, and they started a church, and that church became South Presbyterian, which we eventually became South Fellowship out of South Presbyterian. I just think it's so cool to realize the roots of what this church is. And, you know, I still see it today. I still see in many of you that, that hunger to have purpose and to have meaning and to make a difference in this world that we're in. And we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1 because in this passage, there's a prayer that Paul gives. And I think it's a dynamite prayer. I think it's a prayer that applies to us today. It applies to churches all around the world. This is not just for the Christians in Ephesus back 2,000 years ago. This is for the church generation after generation after generation. And it's a church, it's a prayer for us here at South. So um, I'd like to just look at this, this prayer for the church and, and see what we can learn from this today. Uh, let me just read for you. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. And I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he's far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made fully and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. And I would just add, that's to South. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this prayer. I thank you for Paul. I thank you for the, for the heart, for the passion that he has for these people in Ephesus. But Lord, I believe, I believe somehow he, he saw down through the ages as well. I, I'm not sure of that. I know you did. And I know you saw us here today while Paul was writing these words and you inspired Paul in his writing so that they apply just as truthfully to us. I praise you. I thank you. And I ask you to make them come alive to us today. I would love you, God. We love you. Teach us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, I just want to start with that first verse that we read. Um, 
ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. Now, I just want to say, that's a great way to start a prayer. You know, being grateful, giving thanks. And, and I wonder, now maybe let me pull this back a little bit because one of the reasons I wanted to go on this is I would love to challenge us to pray for our church. And I wonder, how have you prayed for South? Hmm? Oh Lord, that was a long sermon today. <laughs> Dear God, I pray that you would help the tech booth. They have such a big job. How do we pray for South Fellowship? I love how Paul starts this. Because of the amazing faith that you have in Jesus Christ and because of your love for all the saints, I just can't stop giving thanks for you. Um, you know, many times my context, I guess I'd say, or, or the situation in which I find myself sometimes dictates how I pray. Um, I think of about a month ago, I was on vacation. And you think, oh, that's great. You probably had some great prayers on vacation. Well, I'd like to say. Um, but I threw my back out the first day of vacation. And so I'm sitting there. My prayers were mainly, oh, God, this hurts. Oh, Lord, could you please heal me? Uh, Father. And I was just asking. It was all about me. Let me tell you the context of this prayer. Here's Paul. He's in prison. He's under arrest. Now, he may be in his own rented apartment. We aren't quite sure. But if he was in his rented apartment, he had guards at the door. Chances are he was in a prison cell chained to a guard. And here he is. He's not saying, hey, guys, don't forget me. I'm thrilled with what's going on there. But listen, I'm in prison. Remember me. No, he says, I give thanks for you guys. I give thanks whenever I think of you. And I hope that when we would launch into a prayer for South Fellowship, I hope that we could see just the gratefulness of what's here. Um, I love the, the things that Paul prays for, you know, and says, this is, this is why I'm so grateful. One is your strong faith in Jesus, the strong faith. Um, you know, when I think of that, oh, we could go into a word study of what faith is. You know, but basically faith is faith. <laughs> it's, uh, it's trust. Yeah, it's, it's believing that Jesus is who he said he was. It's trust that what he did was enough. Um, that's one of the reasons I love the songs that, that Jen and Aaron sang this morning. Because over and over, there was, that, there was that message. There's nothing I can do to add to this. There's nothing we can do to make the, res the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ any better. It is so complete. I like this statement. Uh, there's nothing I can do to make God love me more. And there's nothing I can do to make God love me less. And I believe these Ephesian Christians believed that. And, and they lived on that. And they, they set their marker on that. Um, yeah. They had a strong faith in Jesus. But it wasn't just a strong faith in Jesus. They also then went beyond that. They had a love for the people around them. They had a love for the saints. They had a love for the other folks. And, and I would say, hey, in, in their context of their church. And, you know, let's face it. Sometimes we don't always have choice of who is at our church. 
And, and sometimes, yeah, we would say, well, I don't know if I'd choose that person to really sidle up next to and live a life of faith. Um, you know what? That's okay. Because God's love overcomes those things. The love that God calls us to is not based upon how I feel about everybody around me. It's based upon the work of Jesus Christ and the difference that he has made in each one of our lives. We are a community together. I loved last week because it was just great to see those folks that were up on the panel being interviewed by Alex talking about the different ministries that they were reaching out. And and you could hear in their voices there was a love and a compassion for the people that they were ministering to. Um, Hannah and Neil working with refugees and just the, yeah, the concern that they had. Um, the folks in the food bank, Kara and Aaron, and, and you know, just the words that they said. I, I'm working on, on presently on an outreach team here for local outreach. Um, and, you know, I'd love to take credit for this, but I can't. It's the people who are on that team who are sitting there. And, and every week they're saying, we want to make sure that we're doing this right. We don't want to enable people. We want to empower people. We want to love them the way that God loves them. And I I love being part of that team. That's happening right here at South. You know, I would encourage you. I'd encourage you to pray for South that that does not stop. But that continues on and on. And be grateful for what we have. That we've, we've got nuggets of that all over. And I know that panel was just a small sampling of what God does in the hearts of many of you people. And I love it. Keep doing it. And let's be grateful and thankful as we approach that. But Paul doesn't just give thanks and then stop. He also has some requests that he throws out there. And, and these requests, it's, it's kind of a long passage, but it deals with, I want to say, two types of knowing. Two types of knowing. Um, let me read this for you. I pray for you constantly asking God, the glorious Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. Now, if I were to ask you, okay, where are the two different types of knowing there? I wonder what you'd say. Um, I'll highlight them for you so you can see them. Uh, You know, might grow in your knowledge of God so that you can understand the confident hope and and also so that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power. Those two understanding, that's the same Greek word. That knowledge, that's the same Greek word. Let me kind of go to another translation, which kind of gives us some of the kind of dilemma that we sometimes face. This is the, the translation I'm going to go to is called the New International Version. I don't know if you were listening last week to Alex. He mentioned, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to give you some quotes from the translation that Dan uses. Uh, that's the New Living Translation, which we've been looking at. Now I'm going to go to the translation that Alex uses, the New International Version, just so you can see what we sometimes face. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you. And when you read that, you kind of say, oh, so I'm supposed to know both. Yeah. But there's a slight difference. And I'm going to get a little greeky geeky here. So let me kind of throw up what the two words are. Uh, the two words are epignosis and 
Idonai. Now, I don't even know how to pronounce that second one. I, I think that's how you pronounce it, Idonai. But epignosis um, is a word that means to know, but it means, you know, there's full discernment. There's firsthand experiential knowing. In other words, for epignosis, that's, that's a kind of knowing that happens within a relationship. Um, the intimacy, intimacy is part of this epignosis that comes out. It's a deep knowing. Adonai, or Adonai, is uh, you, you kind of reflect upon, you, you, you remember, you, you review so that you can understand. You can understand it fully and therefore begin to appreciate so there's this aspect of appreciation that comes out. So let me go with this epignosis, uh, which is the first request. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So that you may know him better. I, uh, I like that it's worded that way. You know, he adds that a little bit, so that you may know him better. I think in the new living that I was using, so that your knowledge will grow. So he's recognizing right off the bat, they have an element of this. Yes, but he wants it to go deeper. And you know what? I believe very much each one of you here, each one of you here who has a faith in Jesus Christ has a part of this knowledge of this, I'll say, intimacy with God. But God wants us to go deeper with him. Um, there was a fellow I was reading who kind of took this whole relational aspect of epignosis and said, you know, in our culture, we have two types of relationships, basically. We have a relationship that's a, a transactional relationship, and we have a relationship that is a personal relationship. Um, so let me just illustrate like this. If I go into McDonald's, um, and I go up to the counter, and the nice little gal says, how can I help you? And I say to her, well, this has been a pretty rough day. It started bad in the morning. And you know, um, do you have time to listen? I, I could really use some help processing what's been happening. And she'd look at me and say, uh, you want a cheeseburger? Um, you know, it's a transactional relationship. She's expecting I'm going to come in there with an order and hand her some money and she's going to be able to meet that need. And we... We face that every day. But let me tell you what's sad. I think on many churches across our country, church is a transactional relationship. And we enter this thing we call religion. And we think, if I just do this right, God's going to like me more. If I just give a little bit more of my time, uh, maybe I'll get some of that peace Jesus talks about. Our relationship with God is not a transaction. And that's what Paul is calling us to. He's calling us to a personal relationship with the God of the universe. And frankly, that blows me away. Now, if I were to carry this into the, the personal relationship level, and, um, and, and I take in, like, if I, if I go to Carrie, my wife, and I come home from work one day and Carrie says, boy, Dan, you look pretty tired. And I would say, you know, I am. And it seems like, man, right from the very get-go, it just started wrong. I need to really process. Would you mind listening 
Here's $10. (laughs) She would be so offended. And you know, folks, I think God feels the same way. I think God feels the same way when, when we cheapen the relationship with him that he wants us to have. And we think we can buy our way into his love. Those songs we sang, he loves us. He loves us as much as he's ever going to love us, and it's more love than we know what to do with. And regardless of what we do, it's not going to be less. Um, You know, one thing I would just share as I'm talking about this, because it reminds me of something, um, and and that is our, our church has chosen to go in a direction. We've been talking about something called spiritual formation. And we've decided to go into that to to try to figure out what forms us more and more spiritually here in the church. And Pastor Yvonne's been doing a great job trying to take us more and more into that direction of spiritual formation. And I know that there are some of us who have had past experience, which may have been not the greatest with that. It might have even bordered in an organization that it might have seemed legalistic. You know, when we got into that, if you do this and this and this, and if you do this practice, you're going to get these results. Um, And I know that we have some people who have been in past denominations where they may have bordered on that. And I want you to hear me. Again, I will say that word. There's nothing you can do that will make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do that will make him love you, you less. When we talk about spiritual formation practices, we're not talking about anything that will change God's heart toward you. But let me tell you, I am talking about something that will change my heart toward him. And the more time that I can spend in his word, it it helps me get a little bit more insight into him. The more time I can go out for a walk in nature and just say, wow, God, open my eyes. That's a a practice that opens me to him. The more I can fast. Uh, You know, we can go through all kinds of spiritual practices. The goal is just what Paul is praying. I pray that you would have this spirit of wisdom so that, so that you can know personally the God of the universe. I think of Adam and God walking in the garden. Wow, can you imagine that? Walking with God and talking with him. We can do it. His spirit's with us. It's a little bit tougher because we don't see him, but we can do it. And that's what Paul's prayer is. And that's what my prayer would be for us, a South Fellowship, that each and every one of us would take seriously this personal, intimate relationship that we're to have with God Almighty. We didn't just pray that. He also has another prayer. And he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And when I looked at that, the eyes of your heart, you know, I'm kind of thinking, okay, the eyes of my heart. My heart's kind of, that's the seat of my emotions. So I bet you this knowing has something to do with the emotions coming in there. Um, And when I went and kind of looked in there, I realized, oops, I'm wrong. You, You know, today... We look at the heart as kind of the, the seat of our emotions. We have Valentine's Day, and what do we have? Red hearts. In the ancient Greek and Hebrew days, they didn't see that. The seat of emotions was your stomach. 
You know, maybe it had to do with what they ate the night before. I'm not sure. But it was, it was their stomach, was the seat of their emotions. Um, the heart was the seat of wisdom. The heart was the seat of wisdom. And here's a great verse in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 4. Guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. The wellspring of life. The heart was the wellspring of life. The heart was basically the place where they believed your perspective on life, on living, came. And, And what Paul is praying here is I pray that your perspective on life would be enlightened. And you could gain some insight into, and I'm going to say three things. Um, you know, he wants us to know, to understand and appreciate, so that we can gain some insight into the hope, the inheritance, and the power that is there. So let's look at those three things. In light of this thing, how we can get to know it better be, you know, reflect upon it so that we can appreciate it more so it will encourage us to move. And the first one is that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The hope to which he's called you. Now, this passage in the second part of Ephesians chapter 1 is preceded by the first part of Ephesians chapter 1 which has some tremendous insights into who you and I are into who we are in Jesus Christ, our, our identity. Um, it's, a, it's a familiar passage, but sometimes we don't take the time to reflect on this like, like Paul is praying that we would. So I want to go through some of these characteristics, and I'll tell you a story that why this is so meaningful to Carrie and, Carrie and me. Uh, Carrie is my wife, and uh, Carrie's had two bouts of cancer. And the second bout... Uh, wasn't as severe as the first, but the second bout, she had to have both chemo and radiation. And that radiation was 30 days in a row, and we would drive down to the hospital, and, and it became Carrie's pattern when she would go in there. It was intimidating. It was frightening to see this machine and to realize there was a beam that was going right through and burning. And so she, it didn't last long. It was, it was somewhat quick. But she kind of made a point to say, okay, I'm going to reflect on these points every time that beam comes on, and I'm going to review them. And here's this list. Let me just read this passage before, while you look at this this list of these things that we are in Christ. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. I don't even know how to get my arms around that one. Every spiritual blessing is ours. Wow. Um, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy without fault in his eyes. You were loved. You were loved long before you ever were. You were chosen long before you ever walked this earth. You were loved and chosen, and and God doesn't see a fault in you. Isn't that wild to think? Wow. God decided in advance, number three, to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he did, and it gave him great pleasure. He welcomed us into a family. We are not alone. We're in a family. So we praise God for the glorious grace he's poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace 
that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son. That's that word, he redeemed us. He purchased us. He purchased our freedom. We are no longer enslaved to what we were enslaved to before, but now we are free. And it's all because of Jesus Christ. Um, And then going on in that verse, and he forgave our sins. He forgave our sins. He wiped clean the whole slate. Everything that we could not get rid of, he got rid of. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. His grace is just all over us. This is who we are in Christ. Because of the work of Jesus on the cross, because of the conquering of death and the grave, we can now submit our lives into his hands. And these things are true of us. I, I skip down to verse, uh, verse 13 now. Um, he's talking about the, the plan of God's uh, purpose and, and how the, the Jews would be the first to trust in Christ. And then the Gentiles... Uh, And he says this, and you Gentiles have heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit who he promised long ago. We're saved and the Holy Spirit anchors us in that. And the Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised. Wow. Now I share that with you so that you'll go home and read it over and over and over and reflect on it. Just like Paul is praying that we would reflect on it. And the reason we reflect on it is so that we'd come to a point of really appreciating it and be encouraged in who we are in Jesus. And I look at a room full of you who are these characteristics. That's something to thank God for and to walk with him. Um, Let's just kind of take a little bit of a break and I want you to listen to this. Okay, now that took place a few years ago. And granted, it's kind of a little grainy film because there was a hidden camera to catch all of this. Um, The interesting thing, the interesting thing was, this is a a concert violinist. This isn't just your typical busker. This guy donned a baseball cap, he put on an old sweatshirt, and he went down to the train station in Washington, D.C., and he put on a concert for 45 minutes. And... um, During that time, 45 minutes, hundreds of people walked by him, heads down. Uh, Some people listened a little bit, stopped, threw a few coins in his violin case. Um, You see this person, this woman who's just kind of watching him? She was the only one who stopped and stood there, kind of transfixed. 
And when he was all done, 45 minutes, she went up to him and you could hear it on the tape. She said, you know, you're Joshua Bell, aren't you? I heard you a couple months ago when you put on your concert at the Library of Congress with the Washington Symphony. And I want you to know, I paid over 200 bucks for that ticket. <laughs> and here were hundreds of people walking by who hardly took notice. Uh, he got $37.10 in his violin case that day. 20 bucks came from her. Um, but I think so often, it's just like the church. God is weaving an amazing symphony, an amazing masterpiece in us, in his people. And sometimes we walk with our heads down because we're so busy, because we're so concerned about our lives that we fail to look around and see what God is doing in us and through us and who he has made us. And he wants us to take notice. That's Paul's prayer. Stop walking so hurriedly. Stop and focus and think about these things. Let me just go through them again. Every spiritual blessing, I, I'm not sure what all that is. But you know what? That's where I kind of rest on Paul's prayer. I pray for enlightenment. And I, I think it's great to meditate on these things. To pray for the enlightenment that God would let you know who you are in Christ. Um, yeah, we're loved and chosen to be holy. And guess what? Realizing that God's love will never change. Being holy is not an obligation. It's an opportunity to respond to the love of God and realize if he really loves me, then his call of purity on my life is the best thing for me. He's made me for purity. It's not going to be hard. Um, I'm adopted into God's family. There's many times we might feel lonely in our walk with the Lord. You are not alone. Look around you. But don't just look around you. Look around the world. You know, we're hearing all kinds of stories from Afghanistan. I was amazed to hear, and I haven't really checked this out, but I heard that the church in Afghanistan is the second um, rapidly growing church. I don't mean the second largest, but the second rapidly growing church in the world. Isn't that something? We're not alone. Um, we're part of his forever family. We're redeemed and forgiven. We're redeemed and forgiven. It's wiped clean. It's time to give up the shame. The enemy keeps reminding us of the mistakes of the past. The enemy keeps reminding us that there's obstacles between you and God. And guess what? There aren't. And it's time we let those go and come into that walk with Jesus. That he made everything possible. Uh, his grace is poured out on us. You know, um, yeah. When I, when I read that, I need to take some time to stop and look for it. Because sometimes I get so preoccupied with what I think is right that I fail to realize the grace that God is pouring out all over and getting his perspective. Um, and we can go on. Just the fact that his Holy Spirit is with us. Uh, we have someone to walk with, someone to talk with, someone who can counsel us. Yeah, we could go on in that. And I would just encourage you, reflect on these things. Reflect on them so that you can appreciate them stronger and stronger of who you are in Christ. And why do I say that? Well, let's look at the next prayer request that Paul has. He says that you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Now, I've read that one kind of fast in the past. 
And remember, the, one of the last things we had down where is, is our inheritance that we have in God. This is a little different. This is saying the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Wow. There's something amazingly wonderful that God sees in us. Um, I don't know what it is. And to tell you the truth, I'm not sure he's getting a great deal. But he thinks so. Um, maybe just a little bit of background. And I'll just share these verses quick. Deuteronomy chapter 4. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, you have Moses, who the, the people of Israel have just uh, wandered for 40 years. They're at the, at the gateway to the promised land. And Moses is reminding them of all they've gone through. And he says this to them. Remember the Lord rescue you from the iron smelting furnace of Egypt in order to make you his very own people and his special possession, which is what you are today. And many translations will say, instead of his special possession, they'll say his, his generous inheritance. The people of Israel were his inheritance. And, and you wonder, what does that mean? What can they give to him? Well, let's go to the New Testament now. And let's go to a letter that Peter wrote. And let's read some similar language. But it's written to the church. It's written to us on this side of the cross. And he says, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest. You are a holy nation. You are God's very own possession. And that's that word. God's very own inheritance. And what does God get from us? As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Each and every one of us. When we go through those amazing characteristics of who we are in Christ, we get to tell other people about the goodness of God. We get to be able to go and, I guess another way of putting it is to be his hands and feet in this world. People see us. Do they see the goodness of God in us? Because that's what Paul is praying. That we would begin to appreciate the fact that we are his inheritance to be able to take his goodness to the world. And sometimes we do that in words, trying to explain things. I would think that most of the time we do that in deeds, in goodness, in love. Trying to be the example of Jesus Christ with skin. And that's what Paul is praying here. Um, there's a third prayer request that, that Paul puts out. And uh, it's, an, it's an interesting one. And I'll just add it. That you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. And I believe the reason Paul puts that in there is because when we realize that Jesus wants us to be his hands and feet in this world, we can oftentimes get cold hands and feet. And we can oftentimes feel inadequate to do the job that God is calling us to do. And Paul is saying, I don't want you to forget, there is an incomparably great power that is enabling you to go out and be my ministers. And he goes on to say, this power is found in Jesus Christ when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And this power is found when Jesus Christ was raised up into the heavens and seated at the right hand of God. And this power is found when Jesus Christ was given authority over everything, everything. And this power is found when, found when Jesus Christ is called to be the head of the church. That's us. South Fellowship. Christ is the head. It's a great prayer request. A great prayer that Paul gives for the church of Jesus Christ. And I would ask each and every one of you to pray this. I, 
I think back 130 years ago to George Eddy getting on that train in Boston. And I wonder what he felt like. I wonder what he felt like four weeks later when he had 40 or 50 rambunctious kids and probably started to think, is this the right thing you were telling me to do? I would love to know the names of some of those kids because I'd love to trace their lives, but we don't have any of that. But you know what we do have? We have us. We're here, and we're a result of his obedience leaving Boston to go out there. I wonder what will come from our obedience. I wonder what will come from the answers to prayer when we start having prayers like this. I wonder what, yeah, I can just see the day when we've got so many volunteers at the food bank, the people that run it don't know what to do. Um, You know, I don't know how many of you saw the video from Hannah Levers that came out this week in which she's just honestly saying, you know, guys, I don't know what the future's gonna be, but Denver is among four destination cities for Afghan refugees. And we're gonna start having Afghan families coming who don't begin to understand our culture and are going through such trauma of being uprooted. I wonder if God would use us some way to minister to families like that. I don't know. I just throw that out. But one of the things I want to encourage us each to believe and to realize, what happens here in the church is not incidental. It's not something that's just happening on a Sunday. I believe it's something that's so crucial to our society. And God has planted us here for a purpose. I want to just close with a paraphrase. And a paraphrase is just another kind of translation except with a lot of interpretation thrown in. But this is from Eugene Peterson. And he writes, all this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe. Everything from galaxies to governments. No name, no power exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He's in charge of it all. He has the final word on everything. Listen to this. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts by which he fills everything with his presence. I'm going to ask the band, or I guess Aaron, to come back up and lead us in a final song, but I'm also going to invite us to partake in the table of Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage us, don't ever let our society around us tell you that this following Jesus Christ is just a Sunday event. It's a 24-7 event. And it's a life purpose that God has given us. And it's a transforming purpose that he's given us. And when we come to this table, yes, yes, as those verses said, we remember the power that raised him from the dead. But we also remember that prior to that, Jesus took that power and laid it aside. And he submitted himself to be able to walk to that cross. He submitted himself to the Roman whores to be able to be crucified. And at any moment, he could have called upon his angels to be able to deliver him, but he didn't. He did that for us. And he did that for every follower of his through the ages. 
God wants to use us as his hands and feet. Let's remember his hands and feet now as we come to the table. And I would encourage you to come. We have four stations, two in the back, two in the front. We've got, uh, grab two glasses. One is your juice, one is your wafer. And then go back to your seat. When you're ready, take the wafer, but hold the cup so we can take it together. Let's come to the body, to the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. If God is working in your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give online at southfellowship.org/give or on the South Fellowship Church app. Thanks for listening, South family. Have a great rest of your day.